Okay, for the rest of us, you can open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 27. And Doug, just back off of me just a little bit, please. Thank you. Genesis chapter 27. It's a lengthy chapter. It's one that most of us, or it's an event that most of us are probably familiar with. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I am going to read through... uh, Verse 29, so Genesis 27, 1 through 29, this is uh, Jacob's attempt to secure the blessing that had started with his grandfather Abraham, had been passed to his father Isaac, and now he's trying to secure it for himself. So Genesis chapter 27, verse 1, now it came about when Isaac was old And his eyes were too dim to see. That he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son. And he said to him, Here I am. Isaac said, Behold, now I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love. And bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die." Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father, that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I will be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made a savory food just as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory food and the bread which she made to her son Jacob. Then he came to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please. Sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have uh, returned so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, bring it to me, and I will eat of my son's game, that I may bless you. And he brought it to him, and he ate. He also brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. 
So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to see, even in the midst of uh, a rather unattractive and unappealing picture of your people, help us to see your glory and your grace shine through. And let that, Father, be a word of instruction and encouragement to us. Perhaps even, Father, a word of conviction in ways that we have doubted you or have not rested on your promises as we should. We ask us that you, or we ask you that you would give us a renewed sense of confidence and security of your purposes for us, secured in the promises of Christ given to us by your Holy Spirit, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. So this, this passage that we just read, uh, chapter 27 as a whole, is all about the pursuit of the blessing. The blessing starts with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, and all the promises that go with that, the promises that God is going to bless Abraham richly and his descendants, and then as the chosen descendant, Isaac receives those promises. He inherits it from Abraham, and remember, I think it was two weeks ago, we were in chapter 25, where we're told that through a miraculous conception and birth, because Rebekah the mother, Isaac's wife, was barren. God does a special act of creation in creating these twins within her womb, and then also chooses for himself Jacob to be the recipient of the promise and the blessings that had been given to Abraham and passed down to Isaac, and now eventually one day would go to Jacob. Even though Jacob was the younger and not the older, it would ordinarily be the older brother, of course, who would get the inheritance both spiritually and materially, but God has chosen Jacob. And so when we get to chapter 27, it's very obvious that at the forefront of this chapter is the whole idea of where God's blessing is going to reside, who is going to get it or gain it, who's going to be able to secure it. Because if you go through chapter 27 and you do just a a quick run-of-the-mill count, of words like bless or blessing or blessed or something like that, over 20 times in chapter 27 does some form of the word bless show up. So the repetition is almost deafening and getting across the idea that this is what's at the forefront. And that's how I want us to think about what's going on in chapter 27 before we actually look at the characters or the events that take place. Keep in mind that the framework for this episode, whatever else you may glean or discern from the uh, behavior of the actors or the characters, the focal point here is on the promised blessing that God has announced and who is going to get that blessing. Now, having said that, it's a, bit of a, uh, it, it's a bit ironic that in a chapter that is full of the idea of chasing after God's blessing, 
that there is nothing good that happens in this chapter. Right? This is, if we wanted to say it this way, this is the, uh, now because Isaac is the patriarch, this is the patriarch and his family, the covenant family, uh, a family of four, husband, wife, two sons. Not a single person in this episode comes out looking good. There is not a single person in chapter 27 that as a parent, you would point them to one of those characters and say, here, son, act like Jacob. Or, son, grow up and be more like Isaac or Esau. Or, to your daughters, I hope that you grow up to be exactly like Rebecca. If you read and if you use modern-day lingo, you would say that when you look at the way that the family dynamic plays itself out, you would say this family doesn't look to be blessed. It looks more to be cursed. They are highly dysfunctional. And so even though we could spend time looking at each of the four characters, because Isaac and Jacob are really the focal point as the patriarchs, the the current patriarch and then the, the one who's to inherit all the promises, Jacob. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend our time looking at Isaac and Jacob respectively in the way that they interact and try to give and receive the blessings that come with God's promises. All right, so here are the two ways, because there is not really anything redeeming in either one of these characters. Here's how we're going to describe Isaac and then Jacob. Isaac is a blind man who's trying to redirect God's plans. Isaac is a blind man who's trying to redirect God's plan. And Jacob is a deceitful man who's trying to steal what he already owns. Jacob is a deceitful man trying to steal what he already owns, what is already his. So let's start with Isaac. One of the things that we're told, or the first thing that we're told about Isaac in chapter 27, is that in verse 1, we read that Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see. That's the description that's given to Isaac to start this little episode. He's a blind man. There's a sort of poetic way that this plays itself out because being blind physically is in some way probably going to cause us to think about the fact that Isaac is also blind spiritually. He doesn't see what he ought to see. He doesn't recognize or he doesn't realize what's happening right in front of his face. How is that going to work? How can God's purposes be accomplished with someone who is blind to the world around him, who can't see how his family is plotting against him. And yet God uses this blind man to accomplish nothing less than what God has already determined will happen. But it's more than just the fact that that Isaac is blind. One of the things that happens in chapter 27 is that you come to see very quickly that not only is the sense of sight something that the author points out, but all five senses are mentioned in connection with Isaac. So, the sense of sight, he doesn't have, he's blind. 
we're also told that when he wants Esau, when he's ready to bless Esau, he tells Esau to go do what? What does he tell Esau to do? All right, go out, hunt, and bring back, Nasby says, a savory meal or savory food. That's the sense of taste. And then you go through when Jacob enters in to try to pass himself off as Esau. Jacob touches him, the sense of touch. It feels like Esau. He brings Jacob close to him. He smells. It smells like Esau. What's the last sense we haven't touched on yet? Hearing. Interestingly enough, hearing is the one sense that does not fail Isaac in this chapter. Did you catch that? He can't rely on his sight. He can't rely on his touch. He can't rely on his taste. He can't rely on his smell. His hearing, though, he says the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the touch and everything else is that of Esau. I wonder if there might not be an indication here for God's people about the dangers of trying to do acts for God or spiritual acts of service or worship when all that's driving you are the physical senses. So if you go back to chapter 25, one of the things that we're told is as early as chapter 25, before the twins have been born, God declares to Rebekah at first that twins are in your womb, two nations are there, the older will serve the younger. It's going to be the younger, not the older son, that's going to receive the promise and the blessings. I don't think there's any doubt that Isaac knows that. And yet, chapter 27 opens up with Isaac not looking to follow God's revealed word, but striking out on his own. And because he's striking out on his own, everything that Isaac is doing is basically being driven by fleshly senses. Isaac has in mind what it is that he wants to do he doesn't care what God has said. He doesn't care that God has chosen Jacob, that God has declared that the blessing and the promises are going to go to Jacob. Isaac wants the blessings to go to Esau. And for what good reason? Why does Isaac prefer Esau over Jacob? We're told that back in chapter 25, and it's reiterated here in chapter 27. Go back to chapter 25. And look at verse 28. What is the virtuous, high-minded reason that this dad prefers one son over the other? Because of the food that the boy brings to him. Isaac does not appear to be anything like the sort of godly man that you would anticipate handing out God's blessing or passing God's blessing on to the next generation. It ought to be challenging and encouraging us 
to us at the same time. One, challenging because there needs to be a recognition that there are plenty of ways in which we can do spiritual-sounding things, right? We're going to pronounce a blessing on someone, or we're going to try to bless someone, but we're doing it for the wrong reasons. We're doing it the wrong way. We have no concern, no care for what it is that God has said. We have no care for what God has already revealed, what His will and what His purpose is. We're going to do it our way. And as a result, not only will Isaac fail miserably to give the blessing to Esau, which God had already said would go to Jacob. He's not going to be able to override God's plan. But because of the way that this plays out, greater discord and animosity and hostility is created within the family. Things go from bad to worse. And so by the time you get to the end of this story, skip ahead one more chapter into chapter 28. Isaac blesses Jacob initially thinking that he's blessing Esau and finds out soon after the fact that he's been tricked when the real Esau comes in and Isaac recognizes what's happened. But in chapter 28, skip down to verse 3. He's sending Jacob out away from the family now because Esau is so furious he's promised to kill his brother. And so they're sending Jacob away so that he can save his own skin. And listen to what Isaac says to Jacob starting at 28.3. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you that you may possess the land of your sojournings which God gave to Abraham. And then Isaac sent Jacob away. Do you see what's going on here? No matter what scheme or plan Isaac has in mind, at the end of the day, the one who's going to receive the blessing, the one who's going to get the promises, is nothing, no one less than the one that God had already declared would receive the promised blessing. So Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. If we can speak more broadly, just by way of application, one of the things that we see in chapter 27 is not just simply that it's God's purposes that stand, But again, because all of this is driving, because of what's driving the action is the pursuit of the blessing, one of the questions or some of the questions that ought to be asked is, how does someone go about securing the blessing of God? Where is it to be found? How will it be received? Who is going to possess it? And in no uncertain terms, chapter 27 is here to tell us that the blessing is going to go where God determines it will go, and there is no way to change or undo God's plan. 
God has determined that through Abraham all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God has determined and chosen that it will be Isaac through whom your descendants will be named. God has chosen and decided that it will be Jacob who will receive these promises and who will be the father of many descendants growing into the nation of Israel. And ultimately, all of these promises are going to trickle down through biblical history fulfilling God's redemptive purposes to rest on one man, Jesus Christ. And here's one of the things that is a necessary, needed reminder, even for those of us who love to pronounce the fact that we're in this New Testament era of grace, that it's all about Jesus. You need to recognize and understand that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as is His Son, and that there is no way that you can pursue and receive God's blessing outside of His prescribed means. If you want peace with God, if you want to be reconciled to your Creator and King, there is only one way that you get that. There is only one way that you get those blessings, and it's through the one who holds all of the promises of God, and that's Jesus Christ. We don't have the luxury of deciding that I'll take the blessings of God, but I'll take it my way. We don't have the ability of determining how and when God will bless or in what way. All we are given is, here is my Son. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. No one gets riches. No one gets glory unless you come through the Son. But then even Jesus Himself in His ministry has more to say about how we go about gaining the promises and the blessings of God. So if the Father says, the only way that you get blessing with me is to get it through my Son, Jesus adds to that statements like we find in Mark chapter 8, where Jesus calls the crowd and His disciples to Him, and He says, if anyone would come after me, and if you want the blessings, if you want God's promises, you have to come after Jesus. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. You do not get brought in to God's good graces. You do not gain God's promises. You do not receive God's blessings unless you're getting them through His appointed heir, which is His Son, Jesus Christ. And the appointed heir goes so far as to say, because these blessings are mine and because I give it to my people, let me tell you what my people look like. Let me tell you the path that they walk to get to this promised reward. It looks like death. So what are you going to do? You can try to do what 
Isaac does in chapter 27, which is to say, well, I've heard and I know what God has declared about where his promises are to be found and where it's going, where all this is moving to, but I think I have a better plan in mind. I have another way to see to it that the promises are enjoyed from one generation to another generation. You can try that. It's not going to work. You can use whatever kind of lofty language, whatever kind of program or process or anything like that you want, but if you are not pursuing God and His reward in the way that God has revealed to us, you will not get it. There is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved, except for the name of Jesus Christ. So that's Isaac. Isaac is a blind man who thinks he sees better than God. Isaac is a blind man who thinks that he sees well enough to direct the future and he can't see two inches in front of his nose. Isaac, sad to say, represents us in all of our efforts and attempts to tell God what is the best way to accomplish His purposes and plans. It's blind men speaking to a Creator who sees everything as if we have better sight than He does. And it will never work. And then there's Jacob. Jacob, skip down in chapter 27. What verse do we want? I think we want verse 11. Verse 11. Rebekah hears what's going on in the tent, the conversation that Isaac is having, is having with Esau. She comes back and she tells Jacob, your father is about to give the blessing to Esau rather than to you. And so she hatches this plan. And when Jacob hears the plan... Chapter 27, verse 11, here's his initial response. Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I will be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. You notice what Jacob is not concerned about here? He's not concerned about the morality of the plan that they're about to that they're about to enact. He doesn't hear this plan from his mom and say, hey, whoa, mom, maybe we just go in and talk to dad. Maybe we remind him of what the Lord has already said. Jacob is perfectly content to listen to the advice and the counsel that his mother gives him, and the only concern that Jacob seems to have is, am I going to get caught? Jacob is pure pragmatist. Americans love pragmatists. We love winners. We love people who set their eyes on a goal and who achieve it. Isn't that what Jacob is doing? Good for Jacob. At least Jacob recognizes the value and the profit that exists in having 
the promises and the blessing. Good for Jacob that he recognizes and knows that's something that I should have. That's something that I want to get. Good for Jacob. But Jacob pursues a righteous, good, and holy gift through ultimately very sinful fleshly means. Jacob will even go so far, if you turn ahead a little bit to verse 20, when he enters into the tent to meet with his dad, Isaac thinks, man, that was awfully quick to go out, get bag the animal, come back, field dress it, cook it, right, all that kind of, back. how'd you get here so soon? What is Jacob's response in verse 20? Isaac, after asking, how is it that you've returned so quickly, my son? And Jacob says, because the Lord your God has caused it to happen to me. Jacob is so set and determined to win the prize that he thinks nothing of taking the Lord's name in vain. Thinks nothing of invoking God's name so long as using the spiritual lingo or talk gets him closer to what he wants. So we sit here and we look at this and we say, man, those people were messed up. This is God's covenant people who are messed up. Newsflash, God's covenant people have always been messed up. God's covenant people today are messed up. The ultimate success and guarantee that God's purposes are going to be accomplished His way, according to His plan, has nothing to do with the quality of the people that God calls to Himself. God forbid. It does not depend on the person who wills or who runs. It does not depend on the person who schemes and who plans. It depends on God who is faithful to fulfill every single word that He has spoken. And that is the only kind of safety and security that God's people have. Don't be like Isaac. Don't make your plans according to what your preferences are, especially when your preferences clearly run against what God has spoken in His Word. Don't allow your physical senses to drive you and lead you around like a dumb animal. What have your ears heard? What has the Lord spoken? That's the way you ought to go. Don't be like Jacob. Don't be afraid that there is someone or something out there that is going to be able to undermine what God has purposed from eternity past. There is no one and nothing that has that kind of capability and power to upend what God has declared, what God has purposed and planned, such that He needs your help to get it done.
such an opportunity to rest. Jacob is chasing after, is fighting for, is scratching and clawing what God has already told him belongs to him. God's blessing is not a zero-sum game. I don't have to look at fellow members of Edgewood Baptist Church as my competition to God's blessing. I don't need to worry about threats from the outside world who look at me like a fool and who put pressure on me to vacate my convictions or to abandon or water down what it is that the Lord has clearly revealed in His Word. I don't need their assistance to be able to reach the goal at the end of the day. The Word of the Lord will stand. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Edgewood, be careful that you are not the kind of people, or that we are not the kind of people, or you are not the kind of person who puts on spiritual airs or spiritual facade, who goes through good motions, who seeks to do good things, but has a heart that is just riddled with selfishness and pride and conceit. That is a dead end. God does not need us to accomplish His purposes. What God is looking for from His people is simple faith, trust, and obedience. We walk in the confidence of God's Word because He who promised is faithful. And the added assurance that we have is that when you look at a mixed-up group of people like Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau in chapter 27, and you see that at the end of the day, with all of these moving parts and competing interests and desires at war with each other, when you get to chapter 28 and you say, well, huh, all that work and effort, and look at where we ended up. We ended up exactly where God said we would end up. That ought to give us comfort and confidence to say, no matter what kind of insanity may happen in our midst or on the outside pressing in on us, we are definitely going to end up exactly where God said we would end up. Because we are secure in Christ, we will get every single reward and promised blessing that God says is coming to us. We do not have to claw and fight for it. No one is going to steal it from you. At the end of the day, what chapter 27 shows us, too, in the big scheme of things, in the big picture, is what you see over and over and over again in Scripture, that God rules and reigns, that God's providence always wins the day, and that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. These people can't do anything right, and yet God's promises are fulfilled. 
not because of them, in spite of them. God's promises for us here at Edgewood, corporately as a church body and individually as members of Christ, will be fulfilled in us, in life, in death, not because of us, more often than not, in spite of us. But it's going to happen. Can you rest in that? Can you trust that God is big enough, that He can change hearts, that He can turn the events of history, that He can wield His authority and power however He sees fit to accomplish every good thing for His people? That's what we're promised. And that's what we're going to enjoy. Bow with me in prayer. Father, thank You for Your patience with us, people who are so short-sighted and so easily persuaded, dissuaded, misdirected by what the eyes see rather than what the ears hear. We put our confidence in what You say are nothing more than shadows when the real substance belongs to Christ. We try to build our lives on sand, on shadowy, ethereal things. And we worry, and we fret, and we grow anxious. We bicker and we fight with one another because we're desperate to get what we think we have to earn and achieve. But we ask that you would create here at Edgewood the kind of body who faithfully, patiently, confidently looks to you to accomplish your purposes in our midst, that we would not set our preferences, our opinions, and our desires ahead of yours, that we would not judge by what the eye sees or even what the ear hears, but what the Word of the Lord has revealed to us, and that we would not be the kind of people who would throw each other under the bus for seemingly righteous reasons but that in meekness and in gentleness we would allow you to give us every good thing from your hand. We thank you and praise you that in spite of ourselves, you continue to accomplish your work. And we thank you that we know that's going to happen because Jesus Christ has conquered death and rules and reigns in the heavenly places even now. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close out with Spirit of the Living God. We'll sing it just vocally together as we close. Spirit of the Living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the Living God, fall fresh on me melt me mold me fill me use me spirit of the living god fall fresh on me god bless